Mamas and future mamas out there, I just wanted to start by saying I am sending you all of my love and healthy, happy vibes. This can be a hard time for everyone, especially moms. And I am so grateful that you're taking time to listen to this podcast, and I hope that it brings you a little bit of light and joy. If you're enjoying what you hear, I would really appreciate it if you would share the podcast with a friend. I'm trying to reach as many moms as I possibly can, and I can't do this without your help. In addition, I would really love if you would take two seconds and just fill out a review, rate, and make sure you subscribe on iTunes. That way, more people can find us. Finally, I just wanted to remind you that if you check in the show notes of any of the episodes, you can find links to both of our sponsors, Hypno Babies for a 20% discount using Pumping Podcast, as well as the Kind Products. Check them out there. Now on to the show. This is Jess, and you're listening to The Pumping Podcast. Mamas, this week, I had such a great time diving back into the past and chatting with a friend from college. Her name is Mallory Grants. I knew her as Mallory Musso, and she is the mom of two beautiful kids, Dean, who is six, and Margot, who is just about three months. We have a really honest conversation about her really traumatic birthing experience. It was not an easy one. And her challenges after that with breastfeeding and just kind of diving into that motherhood routine and being okay with it. On top of that, she just had her little baby Margot in the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. So she was juggling quite a few balls. She is a person and a mama with such energy and vibrance and vitality for life. And it was just a blast for me to connect back with her. And I hope you enjoy. Here's Mallory. I am so excited today. You know, something that's wonderful about this podcast is I get to interview new moms everywhere and meet people everywhere that I've never met before from all walks of life. But then I have experiences like today where I get to sit down with such a dear friend from so long ago. Here I am with my friend Mallory from college. I should have asked you this before. You have like a thousand names. How do you want your name stated? Mallory Grants is fine. (laughs) Mallory Grants. I love it. I know her as Mallory Musso. Um, from back in our Shenandoah days in Winchester, Virginia. And um, gosh, it's just such a throwback. It's so wonderful to see your face. And I'm so happy that you're on here today. Thank you for having me. It's so good to see you too. Of course. So you are living, you're living in Pennsylvania now, right? Yeah, I live in a suburb or I guess it's more kind of rural-ish, about 40 minutes from Pittsburgh. So it's called Apollo. Actually, my borough is called Oklahoma Borough and nobody's heard of it. And it's like, teeny 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 but yeah I have like a giant farm behind my house with cows stuff that I don't own but I you know we get to look at the cows every day (laughs) yeah it's nice to see and you're originally from Pittsburgh right yeah well I mean I again I grew up um like 15 minutes outside of Pittsburgh but like my mailing address was Pittsburgh even though I wasn't in the Pittsburgh public school system. I don't know. It's like Pittsburgh's weird. Basically, if you live even like an hour from Pittsburgh, everybody says we're from Pittsburgh. And yeah. We're, they're not. <laughs> I do the same thing. I'm from south of Boston and I'm always like, I'm from Boston. Boston right, exactly. Yeah. And I think I was correct. You work at a school. Is it a charter school? Is that yeah. right? Yeah, I work for a performing arts and, uh, well, an arts charter school. Um, the performing, uh, it's called Westinghouse Arts Academy. So I oversee the performing arts department. And then we also do visual arts and literary arts and digital arts. So just like any kind of arts, students can apply to um, audition to go to our school. And then their school day is like more like 60% to 70% arts focus. And then the other part of their day is their academics, but we are still a fully accredited high school. So they're still getting all of their um, their academics that are required by the state, but they yeah. get to choose a major and, you know, spend their days, you know, focusing on musical theater and voice and things that they love to do. So it's pretty cool. And it's so nice that we were both majoring in musical theater. So it's so nice that you then get to pass that along and work with kids that way. That's awesome. Yeah. I consider myself very fortunate to like still be using my first degree in a very big way. Cause I had to go back get a second degree in um, music education. But um, that first degree is a huge part of why I got the job that I have. So it, it really 
worked out for me. And so now you just had a sweet little baby girl. Was it just over a month ago? No, three. She's three months now. Oh, three months now. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, just been, it, it's hard to wrap my head around because like we've gone nowhere. <laughs> right. Exactly. We've not really met a lot of people, but yeah, she was born on March 14th. Yeah. So she was born pretty much right at the start of COVID-19. And we were talking before. Yeah. Yeah, that you you didn't even really get a maternity leave because you had to just keep working. Well, I actually had been, so I had been hospitalized like, I don't know, a week and a half before I, I was induced. They thought I had preeclampsia because, and it was like, like baseline, like very, like nothing major was happening, but they were like, oh, this could be it. So we want to observe you. Mm. Um, so like a little bit of high blood pressure and a little bit of urine in my, or protein in my urine. And so they hospitalized me. And then after that, that was on a Tuesday, they were like, well, you should not go back to work for the next, like for the rest of the week. And then we'll just see how it goes. So then I was out of school. Well, I was in the hospital for 24 hours. So I was out of school Thursday, Friday. And then they said, well, you'll be 39 weeks the following week. So we'll just like, we'll just induce you probably, you know, once you're 39 weeks. So I was going to go back to school like Monday or Tuesday of that following week. And I called my principal and I was like, you know, do you think I should come back? Like, cause I don't want to use most maternity leaves. I don't know if you've talked about this on other podcasts, like they don't, they're not great. So I had to use yeah. my personal days and then go on maternity leave. So I don't want to like use up all my personal days, not having the baby here. Right. Um, but she was like, you should probably not come back because kids are calling out sick left and right. Teachers are out sick left and right. Like everybody's really sick. And I just was like, oh, all right, I'll just stay. And then they kept pushing my induction back because I was an elective induction. So they pushed it back a couple of days. And then finally, the day that I went in to get induced was when our governor like shut down our schools. And so, oh I, called, so I called my principal and I was like, I still have four personal days left. I'm not using them. I'll be in the meeting on Monday morning. Like it, right. it's a virtual meeting. I could, so I was still in the hospital with my headphones in. Oh like my goodness. getting checked out, like the the doctors were coming in and I was like, yeah, 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 no, I, I hear you. It's fine. Um, I'm <laughs> on a work meeting. And they're like just staring at me and I'm like, what? Like, this is America. I don't know what you want me to say. So yep, mama's got to keep working. My goodness. So yeah, I mean, we just went right back, but the first two weeks were easy. Cause like we didn't start arts teaching the first two weeks. It was just like, take attendance and attend these like daily check-in meetings for like 30 minutes. So it was like really low key coming back in. And two weeks later, it was like, okay, now you have to have content and you have to be kind of actively teaching. So it was, it was just wild. Yeah. <laughs> and you have a son, is he f four, five, six, six. Oh my goodness. Six. I know. So I had him, so he was born in April of 2014. So he, so we had to have like, you know, a quarantined, um, birthday party because <laughs> yeah. his birthday was one month after Margot was born. So, um, yeah, that, but he's great. Like he loves her. He's really, really good with her. So let's go back a little bit to the yeah. past. What was life like before you became a mom? Of course I knew you back in college, but between college and then becoming right. a mom, what was life right. like? We'll talk about who I was in college. I was <laughs> like a wild child. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, it's crazy. Cause like after college, I toured, um, with Missoula children's theater for those two years. And then, um, I didn't want to live on the road anymore. That was just like really exhausting for me. And I was just starting to feel like I wanted a relationship. I kind of felt like I wanted to settle down. So, um, I moved back in with my parents and then shortly after I moved back in with them. So this was like what, 2010, um, I met my husband. Um, we, we met on okcupid.com cause <laughs> It was like, you know, I was doing theater and I was teaching children and I was like, I'm not going to meet anybody really, right? you know, that's viable at this point, unless I'm willing to meet a single dad. And I didn't, didn't want to do that. Yeah. So, um, so I met my husband and we quickly moved in together, um, shortly after I had moved home and met him. So this November we'll celebrate our 10 years of like date, like meeting of knowing mm -hmm. each other. Um, and so we got engaged pretty quickly after that too, like maybe a year and a half later or two years later. Um, but like, I just, I had constantly been working and teaching from the minute I moved home, I was working with the Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera. And then I got a job at a charter school teaching musical theater full time. Like it was a different kind of charter school, um, that just wanted to have a musical theater program, but my husband was back in school. I was you know, working as a teacher and not a certified teacher at this point. So I didn't really um, 
qualify for teacher pay. So we were like barely making ends meet, just living in our little apartment, like not going anywhere, not doing anything. And like the only, I don't say regret, like it's not a regret, but the only kind of like bummer about our early part of our relationship is that even after we got married, we were just trying to scrape by so hard mm-hmm. and that we never really got the chance to like just go on vacation the two of us or like just go out to bars and just hang out as a couple and like do things because we didn't have the money to so we just like bonded over binge watching tv on netflix like that's like a foundation our marriage is built on it's like actually lost lost is what our family oh my gosh that's amazing we used to before we moved in together he had his Netflix account. I had mine. And we would like call each other on the phone and sit on our respective computers and then be like, okay, ready? Three, two, one, play. And then we would watch them at the same time and like not talk. We would just like be on the phone because we didn't FaceTime. Like it was like just Skype, you know? So it was just, it was just crazy. So we didn't get to like do a lot of those things that now that we're a little bit more settled where, you know, my husband has a good full-time job. I have a good full-time job. You know, we're like, lower middle class, but just enough that we can, you know, afford to go on little vacations here and there. Like we're finally settled. Mm-hmm. And now we have like these two rugrats that it's right. like, <laughs> much more to, like consider. So, you know, that's like who I was. I was teaching and just working. I mean, I remember when I got my job at my first school, um, my pay, like the paycheck came in my first pay. And I was like, I'm rich. And then I paid all the bills. <laughs> And I had $8 left. Oh my God. So the next day, the after school coordinator had sent an email that they were looking for a site coordinator for our school. So I like took that job. So I was working from, and I lived like an hour away from our school too. So I was like leaving the house at six in the morning, driving to work to be there by seven. And then getting to working from seven until three, but then the after school program would start at three and go until six. And then I would drive home from six until seven. So I was out of the house from 6 a.m. until 7 p.m. like every day. So even if I wanted to go out and do stuff like during the week, being, you know, just two people who don't have kids, I was too tired. Exhausted. Like yeah. I had to go to bed because I had to wake up at five in the morning. Right. So, you know, I've just been working nonstop since college, like in then we got married and we, we just, we wanted to have kids right away. We knew that's what we wanted. So we just started trying and then Dean, you know, was there less than a year. Yeah. Cause he was born we were married in June of 2013. He was born in April, 2014. We went like right into parenthood and just really didn't take much time to be married, you know, like just yeah. the two of us, you know, I mean, so I, like I said, I don't regret it. It's just kind of like a, well, we'll wait until they graduate high school and then right. we'll be, you know, the two of us on our own. So. Exactly. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, uh, once Margot gets a little bit more self-sustainable, you can implore some, some younger uh, babysitters and get some more time. Well, that's the thing that was interesting. Cause like Dean got older and he like, once he like turned four, well, once he turned like one and a half, he was sleeping really well through the nights. We were able to put him down at like seven and then like watch movies and have a couple of drinks and mm. he sleep through the night and there was no problem. And it was great. And then once he got to be four, we were able to have like sleepovers at our friend's house. So we kind of got like some time back to ourselves, but we know that we know that's coming again. Once Margo gets right. Away. It's just, right. like we have to get through the, the newborn stuff. So tell us a little bit more about your son, he made you a mom. And how did that sort of transform you or impact you? Um, it's interesting. My connection with Dean didn't really take hold until I want to say maybe like a year and a half until he was two. And like, I don't say that to mean like, um, you know, like I didn't love him and I wasn't like, I'm a mom and everything's amazing. But Um, And I know this is one of the things we're going to talk about a little bit. My experience with his labor was very, very traumatic. And we, you know, it's one of those things where they say, like, you can warn, like, they'll warn you, they'll tell you, like, this is what to expect when you have a baby and you do not get it until you're living it. So I had a traumatic labor experience. And then the next couple months of just lack of sleep, lack of alone time with my husband, lack of just anything normal really was, it just, it it was like a hitting a brick wall. It was really, really hard. So, um, and he wasn't sleeping that well for a while and daytime, he would just cry just 
all the time. And I just had like a hard time connecting with him. Um, and the only way that I could do that was just to like rock him and sing. Like that was what has become like a through line is like a song we have together. But um, once he like finally leveled out, that's when like that motherhood moment kind of clicked for me. Cause it just, it just took me a while. Um, I think kid is like, you know, I see a therapist now and talking to her, I think that I had some undiagnosed postpartum. Oh yeah. I just didn't, I just didn't go. Like, I just thought like, this is the baby blues. This is normal. And you know, I had my mom and I had support. I had people to help. So it wasn't like a huge deal. Like I wasn't ever, you know, harming my, like, I didn't think I was going to harm myself or anything like real serious like that. But it just, it, I feel differently about Margot than I did Dean when he was a baby, which is like a weird thing to even say out loud. But, um, he is, he's like one, I mean, he is, he's my boy. Like I love him to death and he is just, he's a joy and such a sweetheart and so sensitive now. Mm. Um, the other day he he insists on doing his sister's hair after bath time he has to comb her hair and oh. he was combing it and he wanted to curl it so he like wrapped her hair in the comb and it got stuck so then she was screaming and my first instinct was like what did you do like i kind of like barked yeah. a little bit and he started to cry and he was like and so so i had both my children crying and she calmed down i got the comb out of her hair and i went into his bedroom and he's like covered up in a blanket in his bed crying and I said, why are you crying? And he said, because you were mad at me and she got hurt and I hurt her. And he was just like so upset that he had like, he was just trying to do something good and he, yeah. and he hurt her. So he's just, I mean, and he's a wild kid and just inquisitive and curious and wants to like learn about everything. And he's funny and he loves to sing and dance. Like he's taking after me mm-hmm. very much. My husband's hoping that Margo will be like his child. <laughs> very much my child. He goes to all of our rehearsals and all of our shows. He loves to conduct. He loves to be on stage. So like he's, he, he and I have a very, very deep bond, but it just took me some time as a baby to, to look at him and feel like, Oh, I got to go pick him up. I want to pick him up. I was like, yeah. someone take him. Someone please just take him because he's crying. And with Margo, I'm like, give her to me. I have her, you know? So it was just different. Thank you for saying that out loud because I don't think I think there are many moms that wouldn't necessarily say that out loud for fear that it makes them feel a certain way or makes them look bad or whatever. But I know for a fact that you're not the only person who has felt that way. There's been other moms that I've interviewed that have said the same exact thing. And they've even said, you know, once they physically have given birth, that because of what they've gone through, they're just, they've just said, I don't even have any interest in holding them. Like, I'm so tired. My body is exhausted you know, when even offered like, oh, do you want to hold your baby? It's like, no, I, I really just like, right. I remember one mom was like, all I can think of was like a burger. She just wanted to eat a burger. Yeah. I mean, that's true too. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. It's like um, your body, whether it was actually, you know, De- by definition traumatic or not right. either way it was traumatic for your body because it's something that we're not used to doing every day right. and I think that that's going to take hold of your your emotions in that sense so take us through that what what your pregnancy and birthing experience was like oh so, yeah so my pregnancy with Dean um I definitely was in a mindset of like I'm eating for two I you know I'm pregnant and I don't have to like do anything and I shouldn't, you know, like I've never been really great about exercise and I didn't really have a, I didn't have a solid exercise routine to start with. My exercise has always been like, oh, I exercise really hard for this month and then I'll take a few days off and then it turns into two months and then I'll get mm-hmm. back again. So it's like a perpetual thing in my family. Like we're not great at exercising. We do like those little spurts. So when I got pregnant, I was like, oh, I didn't have an exercise routine to start with. So I'm just going to keep stretching to keep limber, but like. I'm not going to exercise and um, I'm just going to eat all the Chinese food because where I work, there was, I, my school was in a shopping plaza, which is like bonkers to even still say out loud. So there was like a grocery store across the parking lot and a Chinese restaurant and a beer distributor and a wines and spirits, like everything I could possibly need in like, you know, across the parking lot. So when I had prep periods, I would go get Chinese food and I would eat. So I gained a ton of weight on this pregnancy, but it was still very healthy. My blood pressure was great. And the doctors never even said like, which I thought 
was weird, but they never said like, Hey, you're getting too fast or there's too much. I would go from like one month to another and gain 10 pounds. And nobody said a thing to me, which, you know, even at the time it was like, this is weird. Um, but then I was 40 weeks and I had planned I mean, honestly, the pregnancy was great. Like there was, I wasn't sick. I got like, I would get nauseous, but I would never throw up. Um, with Dean, I threw up once with Margo. I never threw up and, um, just some headaches, but like, I loved it. Like, you know me, I'm like super dramatic. And I love attention, blah, blah, blah. So I love <laughs> like Mallory, you're pregnant. Sit down. I was like, I am pregnant. I will sit down. Thank you. So <laughs> I, I like being pregnant because of that. Like it was, there was like, a, like a positive reason to have attention towards you and you were creating life. And it was just, it was fun. Um, and, and all the aches and pains and like I had sciatica problems, like that just felt worth it to me. Like it was fine. Um, so I planned on working up until like, I wanted to labor. Like that was always the plan. So it was the week, it was Easter weekend and we had an in-service that Thursday. Yeah. So I had a doctor's appointment in the morning and I told my principal, like I'm 40 weeks and two days, but I just, I'm not, you know, dilated or anything. So I have this just weekly appointment. I'm going to go and then I will come to work when my appointment's over. So 40 weeks, two days, I go into my appointment and my blood sugar or my blood pressure is like through the roof. So um, they were like, okay, we're going to send you down to the hospital, which the hospital I was at, I went to um, UPMC McGee Women's Hospital at the time. And so our offices were like near where I lived, but the hospital is like in downtown Pittsburgh, like next to University of Pittsburgh. Um, So that was like a travel, like I had to drive at least 30 minutes. So I left the office and I called my husband and I said, Hey, I need you to leave work. Um, and he was substitute teaching. So he like, didn't care. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I went to my mom's house. I still like was thinking, cause they had said like, we're gonna send you to the hospital just for like monitoring, um, just to like make sure that everything's okay, but you'll probably go home today. And I was like, okay. So I went to my mom's house to meet my husband there and I made a sandwich, totally calm. My husband came, we left my car at my mom's house. We drove to the hospital and then they just, I got there like noon and they were like, yeah, we're just going to induce you. And at that point I was like, well, I'm past my due date. I'm so pregnant. I'm over it. Let's just, that's fine. Let's just have this baby. And it was Easter weekend. And I was like, you know, I'm off school. Not like I'm missing anything major. So whatever. Um, so, but I was not dilated. My baby had not dropped. Like there was just like nothing indicating that he was ready to come out. So they started with, and I forget, but it's like a pill that they have to insert into the vagina. So there was like one every three hours. So the first one didn't really work. So then they did another one and then they did another one. And then, so this is like 12 hours later. So this started at like four o'clock on Thursday, I think was when like we started or three o'clock. And then by like three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning, I was finally kind of dilated enough to move on to like, again, I forget what it's called, but it's like a little balloon and they put it up there and they, they blow it up and it helps dilate you. And then it falls out on its own. So they did that. <laughs> so they find, and they had me in triage to start and triage at this hospital was like a teeny little closet of a room. Like it was, mm. it was so small and really not comfortable. Um, so they finally moved me into a labor and delivery room. And um, what, I mean, I'm just like sitting there waiting for like the induction to really start kicking in. And then they um, broke my water and that's when, and they, or they gave me Pitocin first it starts to get a little hazy, but they gave me Pitocin first and then they broke my water. And that's when I said, okay, I'll do the epidural. Cause I had not made a decision on what I wanted to do. I wanted to just like kind of decide in the moment if I was going to do it naturally, if I thought I could handle it, or if I was going to just say, nope, I want to take the epidural. I'm not going to try and be a hero. This is just what it is. Um, so I decided to do the epidural and they came in, they gave me the epidural and about two hours later, my legs were numb, but I felt everything in my abdomen. So like it wasn't working. So the specialist came in and, uh, or the anesthesiologist rather. And he was like, well, we just like, they were upping my medicine for the epidural still wasn't working. So I'm having these painful contractions, but I'm still not dilated fully. Um, so they were like, we can put you in a narcotic. I don't know why I said yes to this, but they put me on this narcotic. And then I was just stoned like just so like I remember oh I remember looking over my husband being like I'm high aren't I like I was just I, I was I was done for um and 
they had, so, okay. So they put the narcotic in and I'm like really high and it's still not like, I still have pain and it's just not going away. So they said, well, the other option is we can either take out the epidural and you just do this naturally, or we take it out and we put it in again and try again. And I just thought like, if this is the pain I'm dealing with, with partial working, like, I don't think I can handle it. So they took it out and put another epidural in. So I had two epidurals with oh this. My goodness. So, and the thing is throughout this whole time too, it's like, you know, you just said, I don't know why I said yes to this, but you said yes, because you're putting your, you don't have experience in this and you're putting your trust in people that do this every day. So naturally you think that's the best thing. Right. And just like a funny little, while I was on a narcotic story, um, they, cause this was like a long time. Like there were two, three total anesthesiologists that I saw. So the second one that came in, um, <laughs> he had like this, well, so I remember I'm on a narcotic, so I'm like looped out of my mind. And there was like a, a, like a, a bar around his arm. And I did not know what it was. And I was about to say to him, why are you wearing that interesting glove? And then I heard it. <laughs> He had a prosthetic arm, like he had a robotic arm. Oh my but I say the words, "Why are you wearing that cool glove?" And then I heard like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I, like, you know, looking back, probably a robotic arm would be more precise at putting an epidural. But to right. my husband, I'm like, I don't, I don't want the epidural with him. Like, I just felt like I was so scared that a robotic arm was going to make it worse because epidurals are still terrifying to me. Like I had one with Margo, but they're very scary when you think about what it actually is that's going on. So that happened. So then the, the new anesthesiologist comes in and she was like, I'm going to take it out and we should put another one in. So I had another epidural. Now, according to my husband, um, I was better for like at least two to three hours. Like I was sleeping and I had not slept the night before. So I'm going on like 24 hours, no food, no sleep. I'm just a mess. Um, so then eventually, I guess they like started to say like, okay, you're going to be ready to start pushing. This is where it gets like really crazy because around this time there was a nurse who told me, like, I was like screaming, well, not screaming, like moaning in pain. Mm. And she comes in and she goes, why are you screaming like that? And I was oh goodness. like, what? Like she was an older nurse. And she's like, you're an epidural. You shouldn't be screaming like that if you're an epidural. And I turned to my husband. I was like, get her out of here. Like I had been, I pride myself on being very friendly with nurses. Cause I cannot even imagine what they go through. Yeah. But when she said that to me, I was like, I'm a new nurse. She has to go. So they did switch nurses. But right when they said I was about to push a nurse comes in and she goes, Mallory, you have a visitor. And I was like, what do you mean I have a, I have a visitor. So on our birth plan, we had just decided that it was just gonna be me and my husband. Like I didn't want, like some women want their moms and their husband or a sister Mm -hmm. or whatever. I just wanted my husband. I didn't want too many people in there. Um, And my mom and I disagree on some things sometimes. And I just thought, you know what? I love my mom to death, but I just think me and my husband were the only ones. So on our like list of people to let in, there was no one, no one listed. So it's my mom. Like my mom decided to come over. She, she came down though to like sit in like the waiting room to just like be nearby. Right. Like she did not right. come. They like escorted her back or something. Oh so now, and I've said this to my mom to like reassure her after the fact, I was very glad she was there. Cause she literally walked in as I was about to start pushing, but I, but like, it was just bonkers. So they turned to my husband. I'm like, did your mom come up from Kentucky? Like, wh- who is this person? Like, they didn't even know who to tell me it was. They're just like, you have a visitor. So my mom comes in and then they're like, then they say, okay, you're going to start pushing, but just hold on a second. We have to switch over nurses. So I guess I was starting pushing at a time that the nurses had to switch. I, I don't oh know. Oh my gosh. So I had to wait. So I'm laying on my side. I'm moaning because I know that I'm supposed to be pushing. My mom's like helping me. Jake's on the other side. And then I just like yelled and I was like, this baby's coming. And so like they all rolled in. Well, apparently that was not true. I pushed for two hours and here's what happened. I started to push and they had put my IV in my top right, like in the crux, the crux of my arm. Uh-huh. And as soon as I like put my knees up and held onto my knees, <gasps> my IV fell out. Okay. So the Pitocin, right? Like as your skin curling. So the Pitocin stopped being pumped into my system. So my contractions started to get further apart. So I'm pushing 
and then my contractions are going far apart. So I'm high on a narcotic, I'm pushing, and in between pushes, I am like pretty much passing out. And then they're trying to poke me to get the IV back in. So they were trying here, they were trying here, and here, like they were trying all these places. They had to call in the whatever the specialist team is that uh-huh. does it. I forget what it's called. Um, so this went on for two hours. I pushed for two hours. So I think I started pushing it like a little after 11, which it was my husband's birthday. Okay. Oh. So I think on the 19th, my husband's birthday on the 18th. He was like, you can push this baby out, like have this baby on my birthday. I couldn't make it happen. So <laughs> the pushing just kept happening and for two full hours. And then finally, um, I knew that I had to like get this baby out because I saw a flood of pediatricians come in because they had told me, I don't know, I guess after my water broke that Dean had already passed his fast, his first bowel movement right. in the room. So they had to like have pediatricians there to make sure that he didn't inhale or in swallow this, yeah. them or, or I think that's what it's called. Yeah. So I saw these doctors come in and I was like, okay, this baby's got to come out. This has been too long and too exhausting. So I like, I remember giving it one last push and to my students, my birth story all the time. Cause I want to scare them <laughs> babies too early, but <laughs> they think that I'm making it up and I'm not. Um, when I pushed Dean made airtime, like he flew out of me and my mom screamed at the top, like, like tough for her lungs. And I watched the midwife catch him like complete catch hold. So oh my God. I'm sorry for laughing. This is great. No, it is hysterical. Like my son made so then they like took him over to the, um, you know, to, to suck out all the stuff and make sure he was okay. So I didn't get to hold him immediately after. Um, but it wasn't too long before they brought him over to me. Then they said it would be like two hours before I got brought up to the um, postpartum room. And it was four hours. So I had him at 123 in the morning. So this was on Saturday morning, 123. And I was, the induction started at like noon, mm-hmm. the Thursday before. So we're looking at like 36 hours total from start to finish. Um, So, you know, and then I tore and they had to sew me up, but it was like four hours went by before I was actually moved and given food to eat. So that whole experience just, I said to Jake after that, I was like, I, I don't want to, if we have another baby, I don't want to come back here. I don't want to, like, I know a lot of people have had great experiences at this hospital, I was unfortunately not one of them. And so like when other moms say, oh, I love Mickey. Great. I'm so glad you had a good experience. I did not. I won't tell you not to go to it, but um, I just didn't want, because I mean, they have been nicknamed the baby factory. Like most women have their babies there. It's just like constantly babies are being born at Mickey Women's Hospital because they are the leader. I mean, it's a women's hospital. They're a leader in women's research and stuff, but like it was just, it was really intense. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, add any fuel to the fire, but I will just say if anyone's in that area um, and thinking about it, my episode that came out yesterday, which was um, June 17th, episode 40, that mom also went there. Ah, okay. So, and her experience was also quite challenging. Interesting. I'll, yeah, I mean, I have had, putting it out there. Yeah, I've had a few friends that have had bad experiences, but like my sister in law, she's had four children now and they've all been perfectly fine. And she pushes them up with one push and like, right. so you speaker. never know. But so, um, and then like after that, the care they gave me was fine, like everything was okay. But they do show you this, um, they, they make you watch videos, like especially as first time parents, and they make you watch a video about shaken baby syndrome. And in this video, it is primarily the dad, like apparently the percentage of dads who are at guilt for or at fault for shaking their babies is like 80% or some like crazy mm-hmm. number. So in the video, it's like dads who are shaking the baby and they're like, don't do this and don't do that. And my husband was taking all the stuff to the car and I'm holding Dean watching this man shake his baby. So it's like, by the time he came back, I'm a crying mess. And I'm like, do not touch my son. (laughs) It was just, it was, it was really nuts. So that was just really traumatic. And then, you know, because I did tear and I had to have stitches, um, you know, like they tell you, but again, like you just don't get it. I was sitting on a donut for like two weeks because mm-hmm. it was so painful. Um, and you just bleed forever. And it's just like, it was just, it was awful. It was just really, really bad. So between trying to breastfeed and him crying all the time, 
it was just, it was hard, you know, and even like my doctor, my actual doctor was there during my labor and then her shift ended and she went home. And then I don't know who delivered Dean. Like, I don't remember the name of the doctor. Like I have no clue. So everything about this, this recent experience with Margo was just so much better in like leaps and bounds. So, um, and I think that that's what attributed to me just feeling disconnected from Dean as a baby. Just, it was, it was really traumatic. And my, my labor with Margo was beautiful and perfect and it was wonderful. And so like, I feel like I, I, as soon as I had her, I turned to Jake and I was like, maybe we should do this one more time. (laughs) I don't don't know about that. So yeah, it was just, um, it was just, it was just crazy both times, but. Oh my goodness. um, So that was Dean's labor and delivery. Well, I'm glad that you were able, I think it's, you know, I hear this so much too. It's like, once you experience something, you're able to learn from it. But I think the biggest thing in all of this that I've learned and that I keep hearing is just constantly to be your own advocate and know like we might we might not be doctors we might not have experience in these things but we also know our body and whether it's ready or not or you know what it needs and so I think if there were ways maybe that you had been able to stand up for yourself and say certain things maybe that would have helped which I'm sure you ended up doing with Margot which benefited exactly exactly So you mentioned to me a little bit, and I just want to touch on this, um, especially for those who might be listening and experiencing the same challenge that producing milk and breastfeeding was a challenge for you. What, what did that look like? So, I mean, the hard part about being, you know, like when you're pregnant is like, you are bombarded with so much information about why breastfeeding is the best and why it is, you know, the best thing that you can do for your child. And it's natural. And it's the, the perfect food. And, and whereas I believe that, and I support that I went in and even still with Margo's pregnancy, I went into both pregnancies just thinking I have to breastfeed. I want to breastfeed. I need to breastfeed. It will be important to me. Um, and it is important to me, but for whatever reason, and the doctors can't, like, they don't know. I just, I produced milk, but just not enough for one whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Dean latched pretty easily and he would nurse. He probably nursed for a little, I forget exactly when we've like officially stopped, but he nursed for a little over a year and, you know, he would nurse for comfort. He would nurse to go to bed, but if it was for like a meal to actually eat, there was just not enough there. And so we had to supplement with formula and it started in the hospital because he got circumcised right away. Um, and I actually, I think if I had another boy going back, I would wait a few days to get him into an eating pattern because, um, they said that when babies are circumcised, they will sleep for like an extended period of time because oh, wow. I think a little bit traumatic. So he wasn't eating. So then when he woke up, my milk had not come in and he was but just so panicking. hungry. So yeah. hungry. So we had to give him formula. And then it just kind of spiraled from there. So mm-hmm. I was trying to wake up at night, pumping and getting, you know, <laughs> to put it in short, the amount of work that you have to put into making sure you produce enough milk if you're not producing milk is almost as much work as just taking care of the baby itself. And ultimately, you know, cause I know some moms have to pump because like they're going to bust out. Right. Um, and I guess it's a different feeling and motivation of like, I got to get up to go pump because it hurts as opposed to I'm going to wake myself up to force myself to pump and hope that I'll produce more. Exactly. So eventually about two to three months in, I just chose sleep over excessively pumping. And, you know, and I talked to the doctors and everybody said, you feed your baby how you have to feed your baby. As long as the baby is fed. So I would breastfeed him. And then mainly at night he would get bottles because then my husband could get up and feed him and I would breastfeed him. And if he still seemed hungry, we'd give him two ounces and then he'd be fine. So, you know, that I got over that and then I kind of like forgot it. And so when I got pregnant with Margot, I was like, I'm, I'm going to do better. I'm going to, um, cause like with Dean, I had tried, um, you know, all the teas and fenugreek and like, I tried all those like natural things, but I'm not, I have ADHD and I'm not the kind of person that's really good at obsessively doing something enough, 
Like you have to drink like four to six glasses of that tea a day and it's not good. So it was easy for me to forget that I needed to do that or take the fenugreek or whatever else, you know, they say will increase your milk supply. So when I got pregnant with Margot, I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to pump more and um, it's, it's going to be easier. Like I'm going to, and everybody was saying too, with your second baby, everything's easier. You'll produce more milk with your second baby. So I allowed myself to be convinced that it would be different. And it just wasn't. It just, I, I mean, let me put it this way. I am producing more, but it still is not enough. And I think the only reason I'm producing more is because I never went back to work. So she was able, I was able to be here to just obsessively nurse with her. And I did try pumping more because I didn't have to go back to work. But then even so, you know, waking up at eight o'clock in the morning because my husband had to go to work and couldn't keep the baby. And then my son, to do kindergarten. I was like, when am I supposed to find time to pump? So I have not pumped now for probably a month. And like what's, what's shifted and was different about Margot to Dean um, is we don't give her bottles at night. I have, I make enough, I produce enough at night that she gets enough to sustain through the evening. But um, throughout the day, she has to have a couple bottles, but it's just, it's, it, every day is different. Like Um, I think yesterday she didn't have a bottle until like two o'clock. She was fine with what she had overnight and what we gave, what I gave her in the morning. And then it wasn't until about two that like, there was just nothing left and give her a bottle. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just, it's been hard, but what, what I, what I used to ground myself with accepting that this is what it was, was I like literally stared at Dean. Like he was like dancing in front of the TV or something. And I just like stared at him and I was like, he is fine. Healthy. Yeah. He is, he's huge. Like he looks like an eight year old and he just turned six. So like, mm-hmm. um, I just had to keep reminding myself, feed the baby, make sure the baby is fed. And even still, sometimes when I try to like nurse her and she's frustrated because out there, I still feel that, you know, that guilt for, as a mom, I can't give her, I, I just feel bad that I can't give her what she needs, but then I have to remind myself again, I'm giving her formula, which is what she needs. Like she needs to bed. So it's just, you know, and I, I constantly beat myself up too. Like, am I not drinking enough water? Am I, you know, eating the wrong foods? Am I not exercising? Like, what am I doing? And then you add on on top of that, that I want to try to get my body back and lose weight. And I feel that pressure, but then other people say, don't worry about that because you're breastfeeding. And it's just, it is, it is hard to live in a society where you're constantly inundated with conflicting opinions and conflicting information about what you should be doing. And sometimes it's hard to form your own opinion about what you think you should be doing because many people that you trust will have different, differing opinions. So then you're just like, I don't, I don't know what I feel like is in my gut. So staring at Dean while he plays outside and begs me to make a castle for ants, like, I'm like, okay, you're fine. You're healthy. And, and Margo will be fine too. And, you know, when you go to the doctor's office and they weigh her and they say she's fine and you you just have to trust what they say and, and look for the signs, you know, like I, for like a week, I was obsessively counting wet diapers and making sure that her mouth was, you know, salivating and that there was drooled, you know, just to look for signs of dehydration, you know, and they're not there. She's fine. So, yeah. Well, I think too, like, it's important for us to remember that no matter what stage in our life that we're in, whether it's being a mom, not being a mom, we're in menopause, like any stage in our life, especially as women, there's always going to be something more that we can do. Like you said, am I not doing this? Am I not doing that? There's always going to be something more that we can do. And so I think that's a great way to look at it. Like your son is strong and alive and filled with joy and happiness. And that's, that's the most important thing. I have another episode, um, with, I forget what number, but it's with a lactation consultant and the title is lactation fed is best. And it's true. It's, you know, no matter what, the important thing is that they're just getting nutrients, no matter how, how they get them. What is something you've already given some great tips just in speaking about that, but what are some things that you want some new mamas or mamas to be, to, to just know and remember? I mean, Honestly, it's just, it's, you know, it's funny. 
I have a former student who, I mean, she's 20, she's 21 now. She just had a baby too. So like we're on Facebook, um, both of us having children, mine, my second, and it's her first. Um, and like first it was hard to wrap my head around the fact that I'm old enough to have former students having babies. Yeah. <laughs> but anyhow, um, it, and I, and I would talk to her a lot cause she would ask me for advice and I just kept saying like, you know, I'm going to tell you things. I'm going to give you my, my experience, but it's like I said before, there's nothing I can say that's really going to fully prepare you. I read the books. I read the blogs. I watched videos. I did everything that I thought I could. And then when you're in the moment, sometimes you just totally forget everything that you thought you learned. And then when it really matters, you know exactly what to do. And you just, there was one day, um, I guess Dean was over a year old. We had come home from a wedding and it was like the first day post Dean being born. So we're like talking like 13 months that my husband and I were like, we're going to sit down. He's asleep. We're going to have one drink, you know? And he woke up screaming, urinating through his diaper. Like we had to call 911 and we thought he was having a seizure and it ended up not being a seizure. It was like some bizarre fluke accident where he like stopped, like he held his own breath and then scared himself and like freaked. Mm. But, you know, in that moment, I knew exactly what to do, you know, like no one can prepare you for certain things that are going to happen with a newborn. And even then when they're older and they get, you know, just the other day, now he's six and we were driving home from my parents and his entire left eye just had swollen shut. And we didn't know what, I didn't know what caused that, but you just, you stay calm because you have to, and you, you figure out the answer right in the moment because there is no other choice but to figure out the answer. So like, that's that's my best advice ever is just nothing I say is going to fully prepare you. You're going to be sitting on that donut. You're going to be using the sits bath. You're going to be doing all this stuff saying nobody told me. And we'll all say, we told you. You just can't grasp it until you've experienced it. Um and and you'll and you'll find and you'll find your way because it is it is different for every single mom. And I think the other key thing is to not feel, because I did feel this a little bit with Dean, not feel this competition of, you know, we're all posting on Facebook about our children. We're all posting like, my son did this, my daughter does this, my kid rolled over. That's early for your kid. What? And, you know, and we're constantly <laughs> measuring our own children up against our friend's children of like, you know, I remember thinking one time a friend posted something her child did. And I was like, there's no way she did that. Like, but like what probably, she probably did. Why would she, and who cares? cares? But like, Mm -hmm. I felt this competitive nature that my son should advance faster than everyone else. Like that's ridiculous. So just try to remember that your kid will develop at the pace that they develop at. And if they don't read as quickly, they'll be fine. Like you'll, as long as you love your kid unconditionally, then you know, the rest will fall into place as long as the love is there, because there's just like no right. I think there's no right way to parent as long as, unless you're a bad person <laughs> and you don't love yeah, yeah. Like that's when there's a bad, like that's the wrong way to parent, but, um, you just have to find your way and figure out yeah. what you, what you, what your gut tells you to do in the moment. Yeah. That's so valuable. Okay. My last question is going into the future now, what is something that you want to tell Dean and Margot now for when they're 18? Like just for, oh, wow, oh my gosh. I actually already have a letter written for Margot. I went through during, during pregnancy, I went through a really rough patch and I just wanted to write. And it's like, I literally signed it, like do not open until you're 18. Um, and I'm not even sure I remember what's in it, to be honest, because I was just like going through some craziness um, and I wanted her to know how I was feeling about her and about who she's going to become. Um, so I, I have written that, but um, you know, it's interesting too, because like we're living through like the craziest time. Like I had a baby during a pandemic and then I had a baby during, um, you know, the, the climax or not even the climax. Cause I don't think it's over, but like of the race wars of the rioting and of everything that's going on with the black lives Matter movement. And so we've been trying to like, navigate how to be uh, educators to our son and ultimately then our daughter about racism and, and teaching him about it now. And it's the, the world that he is currently living in is just not even close to what he was born into. Um, I guess like the only thing I can, that I would think to say is like, you know, no matter what the world looks like when you're 18, 
Um, it's about remembering to be a good person and to love everybody no matter what. Because I think that that's like the through line that we've seen. Like when you look at the pandemic and people are like, I wear a mask, not because I'm you know, fearful of the virus. I wear a mask to show you that I care about you to not spread it. I care about you. Um, and then when we're looking at the Black Lives Matter movement, it's about treating everybody with the respect and the dignity they deserve, no matter what they look like. And so everything really boils down to just be a good person and care for every single person, no matter what. Because I, I, I can't wrap my head around the people who don't want to be good to other people. I was, I said to my husband the other day, like, I only want to do good things for people. I only want to make people feel cared for and loved. And I don't usually harbor any feelings for people that are like, you know, just ill, ill or, or negative. And I, I just want to help people. And I hope that, you know, Dean and Margot, when they're 18, that they've, um, absorbed that from me and that whatever comes from our current life of this pandemic and the riots and the protests that they will have helped build a better life for them so when they graduate high school they have a positive future to look out to and instead of like my 18 year olds right now who are graduating and it's like who knows what they're about to step out into mm -hmm. college so I just hope that they always are good to people and are, and they're just kind always. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I'm pretty sure that they will, because when I think back to meeting you and being in your presence daily, I mean, you were always such a beacon of light and a collaborator and an inclusive person. And I think, I think that they'll, that'll rub off on them for sure. Thanks. I appreciate so that. <laughs> Mallory, this has been so fun to connect and hear because I didn't even, I didn't know your story at all. I just yeah. saw the beautiful pictures on, on social media, <laughs> but um, <laughs> thanks so much for sharing your story. And, and I know it'll help so many other moms out there to just feel some sort of a connection that they're not alone. So yeah. thank you so much for sharing. This is awesome. Of course. The Pumping Podcast is a podcast for moms and by moms, and I am your host. I'm not yet a mama. I'm a mama in training. If you're enjoying what you hear, please take a minute on iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review so more mamas out there can find us and listen along while they're pumping or breastfeeding. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, email me at thepumpingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also email me if you have any questions for any of my guests, and I will reach out, get those answers, and relay them to you in a follow-up episode. A big thank you to my friends Ashley and Kelly for the use of their baby's laughter, and my dear friend Erin Adams for writing my gorgeous theme song. You can follow along on Instagram at The Pumping Podcast, and go ahead and share the podcast with a mama you know. Until next time, keep on pumping.